Explore the history, relationships, expertise, and data that go into ensuring Stein growers get maximum yield potential. This is the Stein Seedcast. Here's your host, David Thompson. Hello, and welcome to the Stein Seedcast. I'm your host, David Thompson, National Marketing and Sales Director for Stein Seed Company. We've got another great episode lined up with special guests, expert insights, and discussion on everything you need to know about maximizing yield potential. Our special guest today is Bill Eby. Bill is a renowned soybean breeder and a longtime business partner of Harry Stein. In many ways, Bill's story is really Stein's story. He started working with Harry back in the 1960s, and over the past five decades, he's overseen what would become the most successful soybean research program in existence. Today, Bill is still heavily involved in, with Stein, and his contribution to our success is really beyond measure. In this episode, we're going to talk to Bill about his journey with Stein and reflect on some of his accomplishments and the contributions he's made to the soybean seed industry. Welcome to the podcast, Bill. Hello, David. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited to have you here. You know, first of all, I know you've been with Stein a long time. Tell me, how, how many years have you been here? Well, we started in 1968, so I guess that's 54 years. <laughs> 54 years. Oh, that's awesome. So we're going to dive deep. We're going to go back to the beginning. But um, one of the things I thought would be helpful, because when you go back, you know, 54 years, I think the soybean business is different than it was probably in those days. So I thought if you could help provide a little context, talk about, you know, the soybean business, maybe even before you were with Stein, you know, but in the 50s and 60s, what was the soybean industry like at that time? Okay, yeah, well, I was growing up on a farm in the 50s, and uh, soybeans and corn were both planted in 40-inch rows uh, because originally that was what it took to get a horse down between the rows, (laughs) and so all the equipment was set up that way, and that's what how it was done corn was kind of the driver you had a corn picker then that we went to and and it had a you know you had to get the front wheels down between the rows so 40 was what it was and then we started figuring out that we could take two inches off and get them to 38s and the corn picker would still work and so that's what we did and then we started thinking well we need to get narrower so eventually went to mostly went to 30s, 30-inch rows, and then we started harvesting corn with combines. So soybeans kind of always had to follow corn. But in the 50s, there was about 20 million acres of soybeans in in the U.S., and the yields were about 20 bushel per acre, and the price was about $2 a bushel. By the 60s, there were maybe 30 million acres, and the yield was up to 23 bushel per acre, and the price was two fifty. So you can see things have changed since then. Sure, yeah. And so you know, you came you came to Stein to work with Harry in nineteen sixty eight. But even before that, it seemed like you know Harry had a little bit of project in the works. So tell us a little bit about I guess just prior to your time there, kind of how had Harry gotten involved and what had he been working on you know prior to you arriving? Okay. Well, originally his dad Bill had a few bins and he grew certified soybeans and and certified oat seed and uh, the universities are doing the variety development and so I believe in 1965 the Iowa State released the variety Amsoy and Harry was just back on the farm from college and there was a pretty good demand for this seed so he planted his allotment thin 
and uh, they sold for uh, $13 a bushel, and you know, and market price was two two seventy five or so. So that was like, wow, that's a good way to make money. So from that, he started thinking about trying to get in the soybean business and uh, breeding business, and he uh, then eventually got started. Then from that. So in those days, what was going on really was the, the universities were involved in developing uh, these varieties, and then they would really seed to farms like Harry and Harry's father, and they were basically like seed production uh, group that they would produce seed that they would eventually then be sold to other farmers. Yes, that's correct, and it was by then it was mostly through the certified seed agencies, and uh, okay, and then and then so at some point. What Harry just decided, hey, this, you know, this is an interesting venture, and like you said, saw the opportunity to to improve uh, the process maybe by coming up with better genetics. Yeah, I think originally the the Iowa certified seed guys were getting together, and I think Walt Fair was the soybean breeder at Iowa State, and he somehow convinced them that they should start their own breeding program. So uh, they started a company called Improved Variety Research. It was uh, Harry, Harry Stein, Dale McCubbin, uh, Willard Latham, and Harold Folkerts. And they all went together and started the company, and I started working with them then. So, and, and what's interesting, you started with them in 1968, um, but as you said, you grew up, you know, just what, a few miles from, yeah. from where Harry was. Yes, I grew up, yeah, just a few miles from Harry, uh, we went to the same church. Uh, he was a little older than me, but he was one of the, you know, the bad big guys. But uh, anyway, <laughs> we grew up knowing each other, and uh, we both, you know, were farm kids. So, and so, where where were you in your process when when you guys kind of decided to get together on this? Well, I had uh, done a little bit of work as a technician in some alfalfa breeding and. In Maryland and uh, in California, and also then I did some soybean work with the USDA in Beltsville, and and so I had a little knowledge. And Harry was starting this company, and so we just got together, and rest is history. <laughs> so the so the first venture that you're involved with was this improved variety research, and as you said, there was kind of a, a group of seedsmen that got together, and was that really kind of one of the first ventures into private soybean breeding? Yes, it was one of the first. I think maybe uh, Peterson Seed was maybe first, and then there was a SRF guys out in Illinois that had narrow leaf varieties, and then us. Okay. What, I guess, I'm curious what you thought coming out of that discussion you know we i i know that with harry there's never probably a a, a direct you know one-to-one conversation where it's like oh this is what we're going to do it, it seems to just grow organically but i'm curious as this started to develop was there points where i mean what were your thoughts as you were heading into this venture well, well you know i was gonna i was gonna farm i had some land lined up and uh my dad was gonna help me get started and and harry said well why don't we do this? And he, I decided, well, this can't be too bad, at least for a while, see what happens. And so we started and actually never quit. <laughs> and a while turns into 54 years. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about 
those earliest days. I mean, again, you had some experience working at Maryland, working with these other programs, and I'm assuming that applied. But as you start out with IVR and some of that program, how, how did you go about starting that whole process? Well, we had Walt Fair kind of giving us some guidelines, but we just planted plots. Uh, to start out with, we were in Harry's basement. They'd had some, they grew some seed in Hawaii, and when it came back, me and uh, several high school kids packaged this seed, and then we went out and planted it on the four farms of the uh, the originators of IVR. And that's how that's how it started. That's how it started. <laughs> when I first started uh, with Harry, it was Harry, his dad, and a hired man named Albert, and then I, and me, and that was the the total workforce <laughs> besides part time high school kids. So. So the organizational chart wasn't very big. No, it wasn't. <laughs> and, and you know, so we're in Harry's house. I was in the basement, and he had an office upstairs, and, you know, we'd go back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I would imagine in those days there were some of the things that you – you guys used as the philosophy and the and the design of the program that probably are still threads that run through today. I mean, what was really the primary initiatives when you guys started out with IVR? Well, the main thing was, you know, run yield trials and weigh the bags. And then you got to keep the heavy ones, though, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so IVR uh, started in 68. And then sometime around, what, 73? 73, I think, they uh, decided to disband. The other guys went together and started AgriPro, and Harry and I uh, went together and started uh, Midwest Oil Seeds. Yeah, so you guys decided, hey, we got a good thing going. We'll just start this other program. So 73, Midwest Oil Seeds starts. You kind of start over with that. And... So let's see, from a Stein brand perspective, I do know we started selling Stein brand seed in 79, really. So that was, you know, 73 to 79 was really just building up the seed, you know, doing all the trial work. Um, was there anything different about what you're doing then with Midwest that you, versus what you're doing with IVR in the first iteration? Well, the main thing was just Harry and I, and uh, we kind of saw eye to eye and we didn't have to explain to the other guys what we we're going to do and how we were doing it we just did it okay so the program began probably to just roll and grow and and just more varieties and so on and so forth yeah well you know we started out that first year we had i think five thousand different new varieties that we tried and uh, and so that was the beginning and slowly grown ever since so five thousand varieties then so estimating to this year what what would that number be well i think it's over a million well it's a million plots i'm not sure how many varieties okay. uh, but yeah it's exponential yes <laughs> so during the you know during the 80s uh continuing to grow one of the things i wanted to ask you about was um we had Chuck Hanson on the podcast a little bit ago, and I asked him about. There's a number that's kind of interesting in our in our particular part of the world, and that's 2250. Do you have any any information or interest about that? Oh well, yeah, it was just a great variety. I mean, it, it was just another one of the varieties we had. Uh, when the sales guys got a hold of it, they just found out it was well adapted and well accepted. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a great one. 
some have said it might be the widest planted genetics in history of soybean business. It probably was at, at, at one time, yes. And that's those probably just come along. It's you don't get a quantum leap like that very often, I suppose. No, <laughs> no. It, it it mostly you get just gradual uh, increases. You know, over the decades, again, I, I think there's no question what you've built is one of the best breeding programs in existence, period, but certainly probably the premier breeding program for soybeans in existence. And how do you think you were able to accomplish that with Harry? Well, it's primarily, you know, hard work. We put in a lot of hours, worked hard, did a precise job of running trials. And we guess we didn't think we were as smart as some of our competitors. They'd go out and plant all these rows and go out and look at them and then pick the ones that they thought they should advance. Well, we didn't really care what they looked like. We just ran yield trials on them and kept the good ones. And uh, I think that's been very successful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It seems deceptively simple, but <laughs> yes, it is. It really is. Um, along those lines, you know, I think one of the things that I see in our industry is, uh, of course, we know that the work you're describing there takes it takes a lot of work, right, to run a million plots and to have the people and the manpower to do that. And I think uh, certainly appears to me that there are cases where um, people are looking to to technology to try to find the shortcut, right? They're trying to say, okay, how can we not have to do all of those trials? How can we not have to to expend all the manpower? Um, I mean, does that seem like something you're seeing? Yes, absolutely. That's what uh, some of the other guys are doing. Um, We use, you know, some technology. We use markers to find genes for disease resistance and whatever, but it's still yield is the most important thing, and the only way you you can get yield is put out a lot of plots and and accurately run them and weigh them, and then you gotta select the best ones based on the the data. Well, and, and sometimes I, I think I've heard even Harry say sometimes you know we're looking for the thing that hasn't happened yet. Right. So, so it's fine to, to do all this gene mapping and kind of have a roadmap, but you're really wanting to go where you haven't been before. And sometimes to do that, it's awfully hard to do that with some predictive analysis. Yeah, that's right. We, I mean, we don't want what we already had. We want something better. And I guess it's kind of interesting that we continue to find higher yield. We've been doing it for 54 years, and every year we find higher yield. And there, a few years ago, there were people that said, oh, my, we got a really small genetic base here on our soybeans. We need to broaden it. Well, so they brought in a bunch of different stuff, and it really wasn't very good. It had bad traits, uh, you know, it susceptible to disease and whatever. So, you know, we run yield trials in farmer fields, and so we're selecting what does well on those farms and that's continued to increase our yield and i don't think we'll ever, it'll ever stop you know along those lines one of the things bill that i always remember you were talking to a group that we had one day and i just remember i thought this was a perfect breeder statement you, somebody was asked about diversity of genetics or something and i just remember you saying well, we've crossed bad by bad. We know what we're going to get. Well, that's right. <laughs> and, you know, and 
even the different good times good, not all good times good works. Right. And so we just do a lot of good times good and then run yield trials and find the best ones. Tell me a little bit about the operation as it is today. I, you know, I know you've got a good team that works with you. I mean, again, you can't do a million plots without a, a, a really trusted team uh, behind you, you know, um, and I know they've been with you a long time. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, so I've got, we've got several key employees that have been, you know, 30 plus years, Rodney Penico, Doug Beavers, Doug Smith, Justin Mason, uh, Ryan Main. Uh, I mean, they're great leaders and I hired all of them as those guys. They now have guys working under them that they've hired and I recognize them, but I don't know them all. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they're, they're doing an excellent job. We've got, the equipment's gotten uh, way better. We got bigger and more equipment so you can get the plots planted faster and harvested faster. Yeah, what? Yeah, one of those guys on your team once told me. They said every year we come up with these uh, this plan for how many plots we're going to do, and every year we say, "There's no way we can't do that." And he said, "The problem is every year we figure out how to do it." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so the just, number goes up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, you know, it's you know, it's dedicated, hardworking staff that get it done. Yeah, absolutely. Something I wanted to touch on a little bit. Uh, if you go back to the 1990s, one of the things that, that I think is interesting uh, about you is 1994, right? Um, Stein uh, got the first utility patent on a soybean variety. Yes, that's correct. Uh, they Originally, you could not patent seed products. You could, plant, you could patent, I don't know, vegetatively things like roses or something, but you couldn't do seed. And then they decided we could, you could do seed. And a few companies got uh, patents on corn inbreds. So we're like, well, we should do that. So we hired the same firm that did the first corn inbreds, and we got the first soybean patents. So I think we had, they were 1570 and 22. 50, or 2550, I think, were the two varieties that we got patented in. Yeah, that was in 1994. Um, and it was that was part of Harry's idea of protecting our intellectual property, our germplasm. I mean, before, you know, originally in, I think, 1970, they passed the PVP Act. Well, that didn't really work because people could still use your 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 stuff so anyway he originally had a contract that the farmer had to sign that said they wouldn't replant or breed with our soybeans and so the utility patents actually then made that even a, a stronger stance and i think now we have over a thousand patents we every variety that we put on the market we patent so I did a quick search on the Patent and Trademark Office site and just looked, uh, searched under your name, because I know not all of them have your name on them, but just uh, what I did find is 838 patents for soybeans with your name on them. Does that sound about right? Yeah, it sounds about right. And uh, I think if you, Justin Mason now is doing most of the sure. Enlist E3 patents, and so I you don't know, he's got hundreds, I'm sure, also. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I was going to lobby because I think we ought to keep your name on it because just so you know, you're only about 200 behind Thomas Edison, and I don't think he's getting any more patents. So. 
Probably not. But I think I do have more than Bill Gates. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's that's great company to be in. <laughs> um, but but really, the, the the thing with that is, and correct me if I'm wrong, was the main idea around utility patents was just another layer of protection for all of the work that your team is putting in to develop and breed new soybeans, uh, particularly to, to make sure that other companies don't just stand on the shoulders of that genetics and, and use that to create, you know, other genetics. Is yes, that-, that, that that's right. And, you know, way back in the 50s and 40s, it was all done by university and USDA, and that was, you know, publicly funded. So that material was widely available and exchanged among all these guys. Well, you know, now that we're putting our own money into it, it we need to protect it. And you shouldn't just give it away. It's, it's like any other intellectual property. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, with, with 54 years of experience, obviously you've seen all kinds of uh, change in in the work that you do in this industry. I guess I'm curious, what are some of the biggest um, changes to what you do in soybean breeding in the last 50 years? What's changed about your business? Well, it's gotten, you know, it's gotten bigger, but it's still basically the same. Um, and I guess the biggest things, though, were the, the herbicide traits that came along. And from a breeding standpoint, that was a little discouraging that, you know, we'd put all these years into the, into the conventional program and had excellent material, and then Roundup comes along and it's not as good. So we got to build it back up again, build our, our germplasm-based yield back up after using the, the Roundup stuff, and you get that back right back up and then they come out with roundup two and you know so it's been a struggle to keep the yield trend going up when we have to add all these new new traits uh but it's been you know it's good i mean the traits are good and they really helped the farmers out and made you know high school kids they don't want to pull weeds now anyway so (laughs) we gotta kill them some other way (laughs) Yeah, we're approaching a generation that hasn't ever done that or seen that. So uh, that's that's the challenge. Yeah, that, it really is. So uh, one analogy that I've used, and I guess I'll throw it out here, and you can tell me if maybe I've been doing it wrong. But, you know, when it comes to breeding work, I've told people, you know, a breeding program is a little like a steam train where you got to get ahead of steam going. And once you get it going, it can really get rolling. But then, like you said, changing traits is almost like you got to stop the train go over here get on the next train get it built up get it going and you just keep doing that every time you change traits i mean is that kind of yes and we've figured out uh i mean we have a nursery in guyana now where we can do four generations a year so we can now get the yield back up faster than we originally did yeah, so at the end of the day, the, it's probably kind of fluid. At the end of the day, if you're going to be changing these programs around, what you do have to do is you got to do it faster, right? Yeah, that's right. And, that, and that's how you get back to yes. where you wanted to get to. So, yeah, between Guyana, where we do our crossing and integra- integrating the traits, and then we use Argentina for our increase of seed to put in yield trials. So, you know, it's – when you go back to uh, – Amsoy, it it took them like 
15 years to develop that variety. Well, now we do it in five or six. So uh, it's really changed there. You know, somebody once said to me that Stein is probably the best in the industry at taking a five-pound bag of seed and making it, you know, a 1,000 bags or or 5,000 bags. And I think that's partly because of what you're talking about, the work that goes in and the efficiency of of the system. Well, and it's actually goes back even farther than that. Before you get to the five pounds, you got to start out with one plant. And that seed from individual plants go to Argentina and you plant them in in two 12-foot rows, get a pound or two of seed. That comes back and goes into our yield trial. Then we go back and retest it and get our five pounds of seed to produce five bags of seed, come back to Iowa, plant five acres, and then go back and plant hundreds of acres, and yeah, then you've got your thousands of acres of uh, seed stock. But it, so that's a that's a good point. So is it correct to say because one of the things I think is a little different about our system is um, we don't wait to the end and say, oh, okay, this product is really good. It's come through the system. It looks really good. Now let's start getting a quantity of seed that we can start to work from, right? There's, yeah, yeah. There's several points in the system. If Elaborate on that, if you would, a little bit. Yeah, well, you know, every year you you keep about 5 or 10% of what you had the year before. So you start out with hundreds of thousands, and then when you get down to a few hundred, you've got five acres of, well, maybe even a, a few thousand things that you're going to use to pick your 20 or 50 things that go to market. So, yes, it's, you know, we actually have a lot of failure in our, in our <laughs> system. We, th- we, we, ha- we throw away a lot more material than we keep, but, you know, every year we, we only keep like 5%. Well, that's another that's another favorite saying I have, Bill. You may not remember it, but years ago I I thought I'd be kind of cheeky, and I told you it sounds like ninety nine percent of what you do is mistakes. And you just looked me in the eye and said, "It's the one percent that pays for the rest of this." That, that's right. <laughs> so, but but I know you have a team. You know, like I see these two, three, five acre increases going on every summer, and I think that's kind of novel. I, is it not that? Again, we haven't decided for sure that that product's going to advance, but just in case, we're already starting to blow up some seed. Yeah, I think uh, on the farm here we have two or three thousand acres that is one to five acre increases. So, uh, and we have to harvest them before we have you know before we have all the yield data. So, as soon as they're mature, they're harvested and stored, and then you know, a week or two later, we have the, all the yield data in, and then we pick the ones we want. So it really does take a, a huge commitment to to get it done and have quality seed. But, but again, I think the beauty of that is if you don't do that, well, then what happens is you're harvesting all your plots. You get to the end and you say, oh, that one was really good, but we don't have any seed of it anymore. So now we got to go grow and increase right and and so we basically shortcut it by you know one generation because now you can go back and have some seed well the worst thing you can do is uh have something in your yield trial and have it come out good and chuck and harry are like oh here this is a good one and you don't have any seed that is that's a bad day (laughs) i i I would imagine i would imagine (laughs) technology wise I mean, we talked about traits, right? So traits has had a profound impact on the soybean uh, breeding work, at least in terms of having the different programs that are worked with. 
Are there other things uh, that have been improved through technology or maybe made more efficient uh, in the work that your team does? Well, the, the plot equipment's gotten way better, and it's much easier to get, get more done with the, the new plot equipment. I mean, you know, back in the day, I had to put everything in a mesh bag and then unload it out of the field and then load it back up and send it to Adel, and then somebody would weigh it and write it on a spreadsheet. And so now, now that I'm not doing it, running the combine, so they just sit on the combine, it weighs the plot and dumps it into a, you know the hopper. And then at the end of the day, they sit down and send the data to the office, and the next morning we can look at it. <laughs> so it's gotten a lot easier. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, and even to the extent it, it seemed to me like, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think some of the things like I've talked to Rodney about um, some of the maturity notes, right? Like we're in most cases, I think you used to send folks to the field and they'd be doing a lot of, uh, you know, hand recording of their observations. And now there's a lot of work that's done with drones and or imagery type work that maybe at least makes it a little more efficient. Oh yeah. And easier again, you know, I spent you know, hours and hours walking through plots, taking notes, and you know, you'd you'd wear out a pair of jeans just from dragging through the soybeans. Uh, and now, my feet and hands are worn out. I, you know, <laughs> my thumbs hurt, uh, my feet hurt. I've just, you know, kind of abused myself, but uh, it was w really w worth it. Well, and, and yeah, and, and that's a great point is the fact that all these things we're talking about from start to finish, from bagging seed to planting seed to crossing soybeans to running these harvesters, you did all of that uh, for a number of years. Um, so it, it, it was truly an all-hands-on-deck kind of uh, experience. Yes, so we talked about those things that have changed. I guess as you look at the last, you know, 50-plus years, what are the things that are still the same that you say, you know what, this is the same as we've been doing it forever? Well, we still weigh the plots. We still work hard. Uh, we're still family-owned. What do you think is the next things that, that we're going to be looking at in the soybean seed business over the next, you know, five years, ten years, whatever? Well, I think... Our South American effort is probably going to be the the biggest change, and biggest addition to our program, uh, and you know they're still adding acres down there. Uh, in the U.S., I think we're pretty well maxed out now that we got the the Dakotas growing soybeans. Uh, so I think the growth is is you know in South America, uh, and it's basically leading those guys to run the kind of program that we run down there. And it's kind of a struggle because they sort of have a different life outlook down there than we have. <laughs> but uh, it's been quite successful. And, you know, we've we've now got our own guys running a winter nursery, whereas we used to contract it. And they've done an excellent job. So we've, we've really done well there as far as getting a team in place. And I think we'll uh, – have the same success there as we do here. Does, does having that operation there um, 
bring return back? Are there things that, that help augment what we're doing here in the States? Well, I mean, you know, the same people and equipment are that are running our winter nursery are also then running the, the breeding program down there. So yeah. that's, that's very helpful. From a, from a breeding standpoint, one of the things that, that I think we talk a lot about is the idea of widely adapted material. So when we talk about our elite trials and the work that we do, because I know when we're out and about and talking to growers, one of the things they talk about is, well, I, I only care what it does right here, you know, across the road from, from my place. You know, what, what are your thoughts on, on the idea of how you run a program and looking at more, not looking at location, but looking at, you know, widely adapted? Yeah, well, that's how we look at our data. I mean, we average the 20 or 30 or 40 locations that we have in a given year and look at the average. I mean, years ago, we used to do an east and a west average, and that really doesn't work. So we just primarily look at the grand average. Uh, and so by doing that, that just naturally selects for widely adapted. And we're, you know, we spread the plots all over the country and are growing in the major soybean growing regions on farms and so we're it's you know just a natural selection for what we need yeah so the goal is to do those plots where the soybeans would normally be grown and and to see how they perform and again not cherry picking locations but saying really what we want is the thing that has proven itself well across you know nearly all the areas that we tested because anybody can win one right yeah yeah that's right and you know, there's the problem with only a few locations is you got error. I mean, things just do better than they should or worse than they should because of the spot they're on or what happened to them. But if you average, you know, 30 locations with two or three replications at each location, that takes out all that error. And, you know, the good ones are going to be at the top. Yeah, I remember talking to Chuck Hansen about that one day, and I was interested to learn. He, he says, you know, Early on, when the when the first few plots are coming in, you'll see these things that seem to really stand out, right? They're head and shoulders above something else. But he said, if you wait long enough, then things tend to kind of moderate. And uh, I think that's the idea, the, law, the averaging, right? Yes. I mean, you get the extremes when you only have a few locations. But, yeah, when you add multiple locations, why then you really know what's happening in that given year. And it might not be the same the next year, but – you know, we do look at multi-locations, multi-year locations also, but really not a lot because the program changes so fast. We, you know, once we, once it gets through our system, or you, you know, if it's good, we we go with it. Along those lines, you know, um, one thing I think that we're probably known for is is churn, right? Turning our products over. Uh, probably we're a more product-driven company than just about any other company that I can think of. And I know when we talk to growers sometimes, you know, growers get interested in a certain number, right? They're like, well, this is my favorite number. Why, you know, I don't want you to get rid of it. So what do you say to those, those, those growers? Uh, I know you have friends who farm in the area and, and they probably say, well, why'd you get rid of that one? That's my favorite variety. Yeah, well, I'm sorry, but you, you got to go to the new ones. And not being in sales, I don't really even get involved in that. I just, I'm always looking at 
this year's data and what's new and what's the best thing we got and put those in our crossing block and and I forget about the old ones. So if you trust the system, that's right. The, the better ones will always rise to the top. Yes. When I think about uh, your experience, you know, 54 years in the business and the 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 shadow that you and Harry have cast across the soybean business, something occurs to me is I feel like, and I guess I'm looking for your input here, have you guys, do you think you've had a really profound impact on how other programs look at soybean breeding? Well, yeah, in some cases, but still they they know what we do and they don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Why and why? Why don't they do it? I don't know. They, <laughs> maybe they're smarter than we are. I don't know. <laughs> but certainly, you've had people. Uh, we've had people in our organization, or we have people come and and that and that's one thing that's fascinating. I think over the years, you, there's no secret, right? I mean, I mean, certainly there's been cases where you've sh you you show people this is this is how we do it. Yeah, it's not a secret at all. <laughs> no, it's just how you do it and maybe they just don't want to do the work right i, I think i think that's it they want to figure out be smart and find a shortcut but yeah there it's really not a shortcut to hard work and dedication and precise work thinking back to those earliest days would you imagine what you have built no no not at all i mean we were just trying to make a difference and it just grew and you know i guess one of the the big changes that after we got started was that farmers quit saving seed well partly because we didn't let them but also that was too much work uh you know when we first started i don't know the percent of farmer saved seed was pretty high and so we really you know made the market place bigger by just by that. And probably in part because as you pointed out, the, the pace of genetic improvement becoming so much faster, you know, it it really warranted, you know, probably growers taking a harder look at, at their practice and saying, well, is it is it to my benefit to to run with the same old genetics or should I really be trying to keep up yeah, with that's, the that, new material? Yeah, that's right. You know, you gotta get the new ones, you know, and back in the old days when one you know a new variety came out every five or ten years why well, you didn't have any choice but now when we have new ones every year you need to be switching yep. anything else that we haven't touched on that as you reflect on on where we've been and what we've done and what you've accomplished well in the in the 50 years we've been at it we've doubled the the acres in the U.S. We've doubled the yield in the U.S., uh, so that's a four times more production. So in the world now, we've got five times more production than we acres than we had. We, the yield is doubled, and so the world is producing ten times more soybeans than what we started. And I guess I would think that we had some effect to cause that. I, yeah, I, I would imagine that'd be fair to say. And when you think about uh, the the share of acres that are out there in the U.S. each year that have at least some basis in, in the genetics that you helped create, uh, yeah, you, you played a role in that for sure. Yeah, and, it, you know, 
we wanted to, we want to help the farmer and we you know it's farming's tough and you know we I grew up on the farm so you know the more we can increase their production the better off the whole world will be yep well awesome I appreciate you uh, sharing your story with us bill again as I said at the at the outset you know um, I don't think you can really measure the contribution you've had certainly to our organization but I think all farmers uh, who grow soybeans uh, owe you a debt of gratitude for the work that you've done over the years and um, really appreciate you coming on the podcast with us well thank you David thanks for having me I don't know that I know everything but uh glad to tell you what i know (laughs) appreciate it for those tuned in we've been talking with bill eby about soybean breeding at stein and the evolution of the soybean seed business bill thanks for joining us today thank you so that's our time for today i'd like to thank our guests and listeners for joining us on another episode of the stein seedcast we'll be back soon with more expert interviews and insights about all things stein to never miss an episode be sure and subscribe to the stein seedcast wherever podcasts are found Subscribe to the Stein Seedcast wherever podcasts are found. To learn more about Stein and its elite corn and soybean genetics, visit steinseed.com. Stein has yield. <laughs>